John, which part that you fell asleep to is your favorite? Oh my god, what have I done? Eggs Benedict Cumberbatch. Who the fuck is singing? Yeah, again, I don't know why I'm defending any of this. Okay, so I was right. Suck it, Zach. Love I it. will I fucking end you. <laughs> oh no, and this is the crazy thing about balls. Like, the more... The more <laughs> the more... Wait, am I... Am I leaving it? I forget. What yes. <laughs> yes. Gotcha. This is staying in. Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to Middle of the Row, the podcast. Uh, we are down to Zach today, um, which is why... I'm introducing the show today. Um, so we look forward to his thoughts, I guess, off the pod and maybe on the pod later on. But as of now, we are flashing back to the 1998 film American History X. Uh, this was one of my choices, partly because it has I haven't seen full disclosure. I haven't seen it in a really long time, but it has been in my top five movies of all time. Uh, for a while um it is a 1998 american crime drama directed by tony k and david mckenna who if you don't know who those are i don't blame you they haven't really done anything since then i think david mckenna wrote part of was a writer on blow i believe but i guess tony k was just so upset with this experience yeah, he stopped directing potentially <laughs> well he, he had some things afterwards but nothing i yeah, he has stuff. understood or understood or recognized rather yeah no um, big names yeah the this movie is probably most well known for probably breaking edward norton's career um breaking is that the correct term breakthroughing i don't know um this is edward norton uh, yeah just like skyrocketing him as skyrocketing <laughs> yeah. there we go or breakout Boosting. yeah this was his breakout, breakout role yeah um this is also known for the movie known for taking all your favorite actors from disney sitcoms and making them racist uh <laughs> and so well you know disney has a history of racism <laughs> I mean, that's good point good point um in case you don't know what we're wondering or talking about this film is about uh it's the story of a neo-nazi and his family uh and kind of his discovery of neo-nazism and his embrace of neo-nazism and then his reformation and uh, his attempts to take his uh, younger brother, played by Edward Furlong uh, of Term- Terminator 2 fame, uh, put him on a better track than he was after he gets released from prison. Oh, shit. That's why I knew that kid. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, it was killing me. It's like, where did I... T- oh, little John Connor. Okay. All right, sorry. Go ahead. No, you're good. I think this is also like the last thing I ever saw Edward Furlong into. Yeah, no, I guess he, I, I guess he did probably. a. Well, he did. Apparently, he did a fair amount of things afterwards, but this was probably the most prominent. Should I? He was in the Green Hornet. That's something. Was he honestly in the Green Hornet? Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> um, never saw it. So yeah, uh, this is one of my favorite films. And I was excited to rewatch it to see if it will remain in my top five. And I think it does, but uh, I'm not necessarily as high on it as I used to be. But I think the overall message and impact definitely still speaks to me today. And I think is ironically, not maybe not ironically, but tragically 
almost more relevant than when I watched it back when I was a teenager. Um, so yeah, it's a uh, it's known for having a lot of brutal scenes as well. Um, it's known for really delving into kind of uh, the culture of neo Nazism. But yeah, I'm curious to see if we can first Lauren because you've seen it before. And then mm-hmm. Ben, because Ben, you've never seen it before, so... Yeah, I remember... I saw it, I don't know how long ago, but I remember watching it and being like, wow, that was an important movie. It was good. And watching it now, I hated watching it. It's like... I Not just because it's about Nazis and, like... It felt like you were reading, like, hate-filled Facebook comments for two hours, basically. But so like kind of talking about how you were saying it's super relevant today. It's like, yeah, I've definitely read some of this stuff online these days from people, which is great to think about. But um, like, I don't know. It's it's not a good movie. I don't feel like the ending is earned at all or anything's like his reformation isn't earned. Like, I don't know what this movie is trying to say half the time. Because the music, when it starts up, it makes it sound like we're about to watch some war drama that's supposed to be in honor of fallen, like, military, or, like, just the fallen military or something. It's really weird, and I don't know. I just did not like it. Yeah, I will say it, uh, and I don't, I didn't, this was one of the things that didn't stand out to me as much in my memory, but then when I was watching, I was just like, oh, this is this is really over the top. Like it's very, like there are a lot of scenes that are super dramatic and heightened by uh, a background score and that kind of thing. Um, I think there was a, there was a quote that I wanted to read. So from the Washington post, Stephen Hunter, I don't know why on Wikipedia it says this, but it qualifies him as firearms enthusiast Stephen Hunter writing for the Washington Post, (laughs) Um, which I, sure, okay, Um, was highly critical of the film and gave it a negative review, calling it an old melodramatic formula hidden under pretentious TV commercial slick photography. And part of that I can actually relate to because there were times when it did seem, like you said, almost as if it was trying to create the same kind of atmosphere and tone of an old school war film, uh, which threw me off, especially at first. Yeah. And just saying it now, Edward Furlong does not have a good voice for voiceover. (laughs) Every time he talked, it's just like, no, make it stop. (laughs) Really? I, huh. I don't, that's interesting. That's why, that's why they went with, uh, Linda Hamilton and T-Tunes, <laughs> obviously. Uh, yeah, I couldn't figure out also just whose like, perspective this movie was supposed to be from, because I assumed it was Edward Furlong's, but then sometimes it didn't quite make sense in that. Which, I've heard that this movie has had like had a lot of problems in its creation, and like the director wanted his name taken off this movie, so who knows what this movie was supposed to be. Well, yeah, I think it, I think it kind of jumps from between... Uh, Edward Furlong's perspective to Edward Norton's perspective and I think it's it's interesting because it's you don't realize it because the first character you meet and the perspective that we're kind of 
and we're given all this from is really Edward Furlong's, even though Edward Norton is given the top billing and he's the big face on the cover and that kind of thing. It's really almost, they're both sort of the protagonists in this, although Norton arguably does get a majority of the screen time, which was maybe... Which apparently heat forced. <laughs> yeah. It's um, like, is he known for being hard to work with or... Oh, yeah. Well, okay. I mean, we, we all know the the uh, aftermath of the Incredible Hulk and that kind of thing. Um, no, I don't remember. So, so supposedly Edward Norton was doing a lot of rewrites uh, for scenes when he was shooting the Incredible Hulk and would show okay, up. Okay, he was doing that for this movie, too. Yeah, and he would show up to set with, like, completely new rewrites and be like, hey, this is how we're shooting the scene or something oh, like my. that. So he was very overbearing and well i shouldn't say overbearing the the term i've read is like a perfectionist and maybe that was overbearing for some people but he's just redoing someone's work (laughs) yeah potentially and so supposedly he kind of there's a rumor that he took the role in birdman uh because he kind of wanted to poke fun at that uh perception of him in hollywood that he is this very self-involved, perfectionist kind of pretentious actor, um, which I would give him more props for. He's also he's my favorite well, actor. Assuming he's changed. No, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, he, uh, I can't. I don't remember whether or not I. I think I saw this after I saw Fight Club, which fight he filmed Fight Club after this. Um, arguably, probably got Fight Club because of this. Um, but yeah, I, just, I don't know. There's something about Edward Norton that I just like really relate to um, and am really attracted to, both <laughs> artistically and aesthetically. It's the abs. Um, uh, keeping the Faith. Underrated movie in which he does take the second seat, which I thought was kind of a, I kind of appreciated. Um, or Third Wheel, or however you want to call it. Anyways, Ben. Um, like, as you said earlier, this is my, this was my first time seeing American History X. Um, and this is also the first movie I've seen Edward and Edward Norton in where I was kind of like, I can see why people would still, there would be people who would want to work with him as few as there are, but it's like, because he's that talented, he's almost playing like two different people throughout this movie, going back and forth between, uh, the different you know, this this character who is just so filled with hate and then ignorance and, and then he eventually kind of, you know, learns about, well, just kind of learns that it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to hate for hate's sake. Um, and I thought that was a really powerful thing throughout this movie. Uh, I mean, I, I, I've heard a lot about this movie for years. People are like, you haven't seen it, you should. You know, I just never got around to it. Uh, and I was I was very impressed. Uh, I thought most of the acting was pretty great. And um, although, like you said, Lauren, a lot of it, it's like hearing a lot of like those hateful comments on Facebook. But then you also get to see the people saying those comments. And it's just that clear. It's just they're such ignorant people who, who do... They almost, like, the problem is it's they're being educated in hate. It's not this, they're innately terrible people. They're they're molded into these hateful people. Uh, and I, I, 
I was really kind of impacted by that. I mean, it just did a really great job of showing that the, um, what was the, the, the guy who kind of molded Norton? Uh, Cam. The older guy. Yeah, and he was just, he was just like a despicable person, but he had, he was, you know, just filling these kids' heads with all sorts of just bullshit. Um, and I think the last scene, the finale, was, um, it wasn't what I expected. Like, I totally expected Edward Norton to get killed by some of his supporters or something. Or some of, or not his supporters, but, you know, his his old friends who he'd kind of left behind. But I just, it's, I, I just thought that, that sequence when that, that black kid shoots uh, Furlong is, is so... It just, it, it just shows that hate goes both ways, and it, the only thing hate begets is know more hate and it's i think i just quoted three billboards that wasn't my intention but uh, oh yeah there's definitely comparisons to that movie (laughs) in this (laughs) but yeah but that too it's just like the it it preaches like it, it it definitely spends more time focusing on how awful hate is but it also spends a great deal of time on how important compassion is because this one man, the the principal, was tur- had turned around two different kids, two these two brothers, in a sense. Like, he had helped basically change their lives just because he didn't give in to their hate that they were spewing. I, would, I mean, I would say he changed... I don't even know if I would say that. I don't think I agree with that. Because I feel like Edward Norton... I mean, I I think he had a huge impact on both of them, and but I think it was, he was like at least one the day that kind of got them to start thinking. I mean, I don't know. Sorry, go on with what you're saying, and I can talk later. Yeah, well, Ben, finish no, no, your but, thought, and then Lauren, I'd love to hear your retort. But that was just my my. I think it. This is a movie I had heard a lot that that you know focuses on, you know, just these these neo Nazis you know, skinheads just being awful, terrible people, but then there's also these little, you know, moments of genuine goodness, you know? Like, um, I don't know the actor's name, but he's Ross Geller's dad in Friends, uh, the, the the Jewish guy. Oh, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, who, During the Elliot dinner, Gould? and that's like... That? Yeah, Elliot Yeah, that's him. And that was such a hard scene to watch, but then, you know, I he... he Instead of, he doesn't get mad, he doesn't say, like, your son is, you know, a terrible human being, he just basically says, I'm sorry. But he does, and well, before... He he implies, he implies that he's lost, yeah. but he's not, but he's not attacking him, he's just like, I'm sorry, like, that's, it's unfortunate that he's stuck in his thinking that way, you know? Uh, Lauren, why would you say that you didn't think, uh, the principal, who is... Uh, Avery Brooks is the actor he plays. The The character's name is uh, Dr. Robert Sweeney. He goes from uh, off-screen kind of prior uh, to all the events occurring. He was Edward Norton. Uh, Edward Norton's character's name is uh, Derek Vineyard. Uh, he plays Derek's uh, high school honors English teacher. Um, to flash, flash forward, uh, or fast forward, excuse me, to the present, where uh, Danny is now in high school and he has now been promoted to being the principal of the school. Um, but he's also a very integral part of this movie. And Lauren, why would you, wh- how, 
why would you argue that he didn't have as much of an effect um, on one of the brothers? Specifically, well, I might I might say both of them, actually. Oh, like, okay, gotcha. The way the movie plays, when Edward Norton's in prison, he leaves the skinheads because they're, like, working with the uh, Mexican gang in there, I think it was. Yeah. By the way, spoilers galore. I should have said that at the beginning. Yeah, but, like, he, <laughs> he leaves the skinheads because he doesn't like that they're working with other gangs and other races. And then, like, so his change is that He's super racist. He leaves them because they're not white enough. And then he has a friend that's funny. So, like, he, we're supposed, like, I don't know. They're trying to get us to sympathize with a Nazi or neo-Nazi. And the only way they do that is by giving him a friend that's funny and then having him get raped in prison. He does nothing to earn our sympathy or anything. And I don't feel like we ever really see why he changes his way of thinking. Um, I think I think part of it too is he you know he is he he thinks that this this neo-nazism is like this tight-knit brotherhood of people who all think like he did like we're all in this together and then he sees that you know when when push comes to shove they just drop those morals those because they're working with the the other races so he just he sees it as this kind of hypocritical bullshit and so he leaves he because start- of hip- hypocrisy, but not because he changes his view. Like, why does he change his views well, with he, racism? He le- because he does. He does eventually bond with this one guy who's, um, the the guy he's falling the pillows with or the the clothing and stuff with the undies. And that guy, what the undies? Yeah, and then <laughs> was it undies? Yeah, yeah. It was. He sniffed and then them. He even, he even, um like saves his life at the end like he, he basically tells him he, he he basically acknowledges that if if his friend hadn't gone to bat for him he would have been dead yeah i i think it's a little bit of when did his friend go to bat saying. for him so it's implied that um he talks about how now that he doesn't have this gang to be affiliated with within prison being the neo-nazis he should he's He's fresh meat. Everyone who's not a neo-Nazi should be ganging up on him. And he says that uh, all the black uh, convicts and all the Hispanic convicts should probably, like, we're going to be lining up. But they ne- it never happens. And he, at the end, when he leaves, he says that he thinks it's, uh, the character's name is, hold on, Lamont? Yeah, the character's yeah. name is Lamont that's, and the actor's right. name is Guy Tori. Um he tells him that he thinks the only reason he's alive is because of him. Meaning he, he vouched for him. He told, he, he got everyone to back off when, uh, they felt like attacking him. And I think it's, it's a little bit of both. Now I will say there are two pieces of criticism, um, per the Wikipedia page. Um, (laughs) Roger Ebert, yeah, Roger Ebert in his review in the Chicago sun times, he still gave it a three out of four stars. Um, he said, in trying to resolve the events of four years in one day, it leaves its shortcuts showing. So it definitely, it, I get what you're saying about the Reformation not feeling earned. Uh, Mick LaSalle of the San Francisco Chronicle said, we had to watch him think his way in. We should see him think his way out, uh, which is very true. We're given the scenes yeah. earlier in the film, like Ben mentioned, the scene where he's having dinner with his family and with uh the high school teacher 
and they're going back and forth about the Rodney King riots in LA. And you're seeing, as opposed to this very hate, well, it's, it's hate filled still, but it's very intellectual. It's very argumentative. It's not, it's not simply emotional rhetoric. It's intellectual rhetoric. And we see more of that, especially, uh, right before the scene where they, or the scene where they decide to vandalize the supermarket and that kind of thing. So this, this film does a really great job at exploring and I think dissecting the intellectual arguments and the intellectual justifications for neo-Nazism. Because I think if it didn't do that, we would it it wouldn't be a valid deconstruction of the ideology because we would just think of it as another stereotype whereas it's not really it's not completely like that anymore it's not simply it's ignorance but it's a willful ignorance and it's a well thought out intentional ignorance now yeah they did that well enough but like he didn't earn his way back to me so and it was just so stupid I, with the younger kid i don't think that uh, the principal changed his mind at all it was one night of stories with his brother and his whole life was changing no for it's sure like, and i think and I'm not sure if that was in t- I I agree the payoff doesn't necessarily feel as satisfactory, but I think maybe that was the intention with the film to say, like, regardless of all the logic and all the reasoning and justification, one of the biggest things to convince someone is the relationships you form. And that could be a familiar relationship that you've already had where your older brother is bearing his soul and like confessing how much regret and remorse he feels for the things that he's done and the hate that he has spewed and held within him. And that could be as relational as like a new friendship formed in prison of a goofy guy who just comes off as super genuine. And I think, I think maybe I'm not sure if that wasn't intentional, but maybe that's a very powerful point that, and it plays into like today's today's, uh, societal kind of status like how do we try to can we ever really convince someone logically um, out of an ideology maybe not but maybe it has to do with the emotional bonds that we form with people and the relationships that we form with people and maybe yeah, that's like, more powerful I guess but like at the end of the day I feel like his relationships had become so strong with the other neo-nazis that just his brother like he would have been angry like when he was angry with his brother I believe that I believe that way more than him suddenly changing his mind. Like, I feel like it wouldn't have happened in a night. Like, maybe over the course of time, his brother could have changed his ways. Well, that's, like- that's interesting. So then, because I definitely, I felt, I felt like they built up this idea of loyalty or admiration from Danny, Danny being Edward Furlong's character to Derek in terms of this younger brother who's really like looking up, uh, looking up to him. And they say it, it's some of the more subtle moments, which I think work, are the times when, like, when Derek gets first released from prison and he gets the call from Sweeney about the paper that Danny turned in about Mein Kampf and Derek confronts Danny about it. And Danny's like, I thought you'd be happy. Um, and there's this sense of admiration, not just between Danny and Derek, but between the greater sort of newer generation of neo-Nazis in Venice Beach and sort of towards Derek. And so I feel like they built up that culture around like, no, this isn't just like a random uh, gang leader. This is someone who's really 
almost a Messiah-like status to this community. And that relationship is even heightened with Danny being his younger brother and being related to him. I thought, I don't know, I felt like they built that up really well. And there's even the scene after the dinner where Derek's trying to apologize to his mother and his sister. And Danny's like, I believe you, I trust you, Derek. Um, I don't know, Ben, what do you think? I mean, I, I just, you guys are, you guys are looking at this a lot more than I am, I guess. But, um, I just, from, from what Lauren said, how she didn't feel that he impacted. So, well, my, my thing is like, he, he didn't directly impact, the principal didn't directly impact the younger brother, but it was through his interactions with the older brother that changed both of them is kind of, that's, that's what I was I will say, I do think that was very intentional by Dr. Sweeney's. Uh, part two like i think he recognized that me trying to reach out to this person is probably not yeah, going to be as impactful as if Derek, with yeah. his personal confession and testimony does um and i think that's also an aspect of this film that i really liked i loved the tenacity of dr sweeney i love this idea that no one is too far gone and that's something that's something uh mer uh Mr. Murray, I guess, says, uh, the other teacher or whatever. And you see that during the dinner scene, and you also see at the very beginning where he's arguing about whether or not to expel Danny because he turned in a paper about Mein Kampf. And Dr. Sweeney says he learned this nonsense. He can unlearn it. Um, in a night. <laughs> it just and, it just felt like super wishful thinking to me. Where I it's mean, like, for, yeah, but I, 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 I guess I love and I guess I really am attracted to that idealism. Oh, no, I, I love to believe that everyone can change. I'm just saying the movie could have spaced it out a bit more. <laughs> Fair enough. It, there's maybe a lot of timing issues. But I, I think it also, I think the performance by Avery Brooks as Dr. Sweeney, I think is also maybe, maybe the second best performance in this movie. I don't know. He's such a... Yeah, the um, other one, the best performance was Feruza Balk's terrifying eyeballs. For, <laughs> like she always looks so deranged oh when the camera gosh. would turn to her. Yes. It was ridiculous. <laughs> she, Which, uh, I mean, it was perfect for the role, but every time, like, I couldn't help but laugh at her. <laughs> yeah. Um, she, yeah, I, she also, she made me cringe every time she was on screen because she wasn't given a lot to do and a lot to say. She was clearly kind of written as a more kind of ignorant uh character i liked her in the water boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh um but yeah going yeah i think uh, um avery brooks i don't know he he should i feel like he should have been nominated for almost a best supporting actor oscar yeah he's just he's such an inspirational figure in this he's so level-headed he never seems too unrealistic though and i think that's one of the things that's so powerful about this movie is i don't know just he's just an institution like he comes off as this like unmovable force for good um and i love sort of the aspects of kind of logistically an educator who's involved with the community police in terms of trying to minimize uh, gang violence in the school community as well as um 
still being in the lives of like former students who are on parole and that kind of thing and wanting to be a mentor figure um and granted he kind of re-entered Derek's life because he saw Danny going down the same path but yeah I don't know he's I don't know. It's one of I, I love films that have very powerful portrayals of educators, um, and I think this this has probably one of the most prominent, which is probably one of the reasons why it's still in my top five. Um, so yeah, um, one of the other things that I wanted to talk about was just visually and aesthetically, or how did you guys feel the cinematography was with the narrative style? So this is told in nonlinear fashion, which means sometimes we get some of Danny's flashbacks. Sometimes we get some of Derek's flashbacks. It's kind of interspersed. It's kind of written, it's, or it's kind of told from the point of view of Danny writing this essay to an unknown audience. Um, and, th- and he's like relaying the story. His brother tells him too. I, I liked it. I thought, I mean, I, I wasn't, like, over the moon by how it went, but I, I thought it was, like, a very serviceable um, way to frame the story. And what you, would you think about the use of black and white during those flashbacks as well? I have a question about that. When he left the prison, was it black and white or color? At both times, I think it was black and white. Okay, because I was just trying to... I was debating right now if it was, like, just super on the nose, like back in the day everything was super black and white like hate uh, like this and then like when it was color that because everything was all the grays or whatever i don't know it was it seemed really on the nose to me but at this point i think i just hate everything about this movie (laughs) it's something that gives a kind of a unique you know charm to it in a sense i definitely i definitely want to agree with lauren at the at least at the very beginning i felt some of the over the topness or melodramaticness of the use of it that along with the super uh, emotional score i guess or oh super God. melodramatic score the music when they won the basketball game oh you would have thought they had saved the world <laughs> yeah it was I, that, that, that was that was the one the one moment when the music picked up where it's like should we be celebrating this like i feel like this shouldn't be a, a celebratory moment like well that's what i'm saying it's like i don't know what i'm supposed to like what was the message of this movie and again uh, it all comes down to whose point of view it was from too well and i And I don't know if maybe that was, again, I felt like there was this tension between there was all these things that we were first encountering at the beginning where Danny's kind of recounting like the good old days of neo-Nazism in Venice Beach before Derek uh, was arrested for murder, Um, where it's maybe it's that's kind of the unreliable narrative part, narrator part of it, where he's telling it with such melodrama where, like you said, uh, you would have think they won a, a war or a battle or something like that, which I guess you could say they did sort of, and maybe that's the point that they were trying to make. But it seemed really, it seemed really awkward and uncomfortable, and not not in a way where I initially said, "Oh, I get it," just in a way where it's just like this is just weird and kind of kooky, and I don't really get it. Um, it's like yay, Nazis won the basketball. <laughs> Whereas, like as those time- white boys got ups, man. <laughs> Um, White people can jump. <laughs> I always knew it. Well, like, first of all, I like 
these are like I re- I remember them trying. They were talking about how this was like a youth gang sort of. Everyone on that basketball team had to have been like late twenties. Oh yeah, Edward <laughs> Norton trying to be passed as a high schooler was one of the most fun, like the funniest thing I've ever seen in a long time. Just, just give him a lot of like droopy shirts and droopy hair and a backwards yeah, baseball give him hat. Yeah, that long hair. <laughs> um, where, but I will say, um, two. What was I, I? I appreciate how the tone I felt like very mellowed out, and as you were kind of more exposed to the reformation of Derek, um, it, it became a little bit more realistic and it, it felt less like with like a rising crescendoing score or whatever. It, I mean, it definitely got a little bit more somber, especially towards the end. I liked kind of the, the juxtaposition between, Oh, okay. This movie is, as I'm remembering, going back to a more realistic kind of mellow vibe. So I appreciated that, I guess. Did you guys notice with some of the black and white scenes, like the the tint changing every now and then too? Uh, I don't know if I noticed that. I did not notice maybe, that. Maybe that was just me watching it on a tablet on <laughs> Amazon. I don't know. Um, Edward Norton. So <laughs> resolution going up and down. Yeah, maybe. Um, do we? Th- I will say the the audio was off several times, or I was just like, was this movie dubbed? Where I don't think it was. I just think my audio was out of sync, which I guess means it was dubbed. I don't know. What, what do we think about Edward Norton? So we have to say this was he was nominated for best actor from this film, and actually, according to Wikipedia, his his break break was a uh, was like Primal Fear, and then it was this. Okay, I don't. I've I've that was the one. never seen Primal Fear, so I'm not sure what that is. If I remember correctly, it's it, it is good. He's good in it, but it's like he's. He's been like arrested for murder. His lawyer is Richard Gere, and he's like trying to convince his lawyer that it's a it's a different personality. Like he has a split personality that was the 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 one who did this committed the crime. Does he play like the same so, character in every? No, I'm just kidding. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> he looks. That was only like two years before this. He looks so different. Well, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> One photo, he looks way younger. Do we think so? Do we think this was Oscar worthy? Because a lot of people, a lot of press publications said that he was the front runner, and then he lost to the actor and writer of Life Is Beautiful, which is a great film, but I haven't seen it in forever to know whether or not I feel like that's justified. I don't know. I feel like he did a good job with it, but just my overall opinion of the film and its shortcomings, and then to read about how horrible of a person he is to work with it just completely ruins this thing anything i did enjoy for me or for me that's fair i think i think i could see him getting oscar buzz for this like if this had come out today people would have been like oh my god holy shit he's so good have you seen this and again because it's such a timely thing and it and like you said earlier, John, it might even be like more relevant now. Yeah, than it, it's a timeless than it was thing. In well, and again, because yeah. especially nowadays, like of course, I I don't want to underplay the influence or the presence of neo Nazism in our society because as we've seen from Charlottesville, it's still a thing. White supremacy is still a thing, and it's not going away. Um, or yeah, even like the I, recent I was looking for the those tiki torches in this one. <laughs> yeah, but I think <laughs> it's coming at it from. Uh, a lot more of an intellectual approach where as I think a lot of the tension today as I interpret it is not necessarily whites versus coloreds 
or white supremacy versus um, an accepting inclusive society, but it's more of um, ideology in terms of uh, protectionism versus inclusivity. And what I thought was real interesting was that regardless of that, some of the justifications and arguments that Derek was making, especially that dinner table scene, uh, whether it was about or whether it was about police brutality or at, say, the vandalism of the grocery store about immigration, a lot of that is used by people who would not identify themselves as white supremacists or uh, racists or xenophobic. They would just say they've got their their nativists and they their patriots they love their country and they want to do what's best for their country and i thought that was so interesting because then whereas at this time when this film was made the 1990s this was blatant hate speech adopted by a specific group uh these views and these values have been adopted within the mainstream of no just like a specific kind of political ideology and you can say oh no i believe this but that doesn't mean I'm racist or that doesn't mean I believe in but white supremacy, are. but <laughs> as essentially, yeah. And that's where the discussion needs to change of like, well, what are you actually supporting and what are you actually saying though? Um, I think it's interesting that again, a lot of the figures in this film, save for cam, who is probably the main or biggest antagonist, um, a lot of these figures are being shown as no, they learned this from somewhere. There was a precipitating event or thing. Danny talks about how they want to provide a sense of community to white kids who felt like they were going to get beat up every day by either me- Mexican or black gangs at school or something like or that. They were, or they were angry. Or I mean, they were like, angry about. That's why, yeah. That's why Derek was the perfect, the perfect, you know, poster boy for it because his father was killed by by um, a minority a person of a minority and it was a complete accident but he needed someone to be angry at yeah okay okay so with all that in mind how do you guys feel about the ending of this movie then like it was a black kid that killed him yeah and like at the or i feel i read somewhere that the original ending was supposed to be like after that happens edward norton shaves his head so, aka, he's going back to his old ways. Yeah, I that. Well, I'm, oh I'm god! Glad they didn't oh do man! That. Well, I I love that Ben. I think you clarified it so well. You said hate begets hate, and at the end, Derek says as he's clutching Danny in the in the bathroom, he says, "What did I do?" So he recognizes, sort of, no, this isn't just the result of uh, a specific individual because of the color of their skin or the ethnicity or anything. No, this is because of the hate that. I have continued because of the loss or tragedy that I have felt and the way I perceived or dealt with that. Yeah, and in that regard, it would have made it a much longer movie then. But I almost <laughs> wish we had like gotten to see more from the the kid who ended up killing the younger brother. Like I would have liked to have seen what drove him to that point. Yeah, it's that's and true. it's not it's mentioned only briefly, I think Davina uh, mentions it at the dinner scene where she says, if we're going to talk about crime, then we should also talk about the social injustices that put people uh, in those positions. Yeah. To which Derek's comment is, 
is a, a very blatant kind of like fuck you like that's a scapegoat that's an excuse blah 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 it's a, it's a disacknowledgement of that real reality for a lot of a lot of people in this country a lot of persons of color and it's it's unfortunately something that this film does not get into and so um yeah it felt like the movie was constantly just making the neo-nazis the victims it was like uh, it, like, but I think, but I think that's that's part of the point it was trying to make is that the only thing their hate is doing is making not not only the the people they hate their lives worse, but also their own lives. So, so then, why not it, like, have so, his own other neo Nazis kill him? Because that just it continues the same cycle. That's oh well, yeah, that's what doing. originally like, they so, were going for. Yeah, but they. Sh- but I think they changed that. It's like, but they they showed that. So Edward Norton's hate was born out of anger from anger from uh, the loss of his father, that tragedy, and then come full circle. All his hate did. The only thing it really managed to change was it caused another tragedy. His hate towards another, just double double down on what what made him so angry in the first place. I, I think I will say, Lauren, it's it's very uncomfortable because, again, especially at the beginning of this film, uh, and then, like you said, sort of at the end with this with this character, uh, this other, st- this contemporary, this black student. Yeah, uh, I need to find his name. Of Danny. I, don't think, I don't think he was ever given a name, was he? Probably not. Um, there are these stereotypes in terms of how black Americans are portrayed, especially in uh, places of poverty, such as like Venice Beach or whatever, LA, what have you. Um, I think that's intentional though, to kind of portray like, at first, the unreliable narrator aspect of the beginning of the film, but then towards the end, the reality of poverty and crime that um, has affected institutionally persons of color specifically the black american community but i think with that with that with that ending where it's just like well then and great now a black kid has killed a white kid like what do we do with that i feel like that's almost the challenge and i feel like that's almost both for Derek and then also for the audience to say can you have the same resolve that dr sweeney does that in a world where uh blacks are killing whites and whites are killing blacks and both groups are kind of at odds with each other can you be the one that tries to extend peace to each other and build those bridges um to to fight against that to fight against the reality of what are uh, the race tensions in our society um and so i don't know i think now, granted, did I did I recognize or kind of realize all of that outside of this conversation? No, but I think that's that's part of it that really stood out to me. I suppose subconsciously, the aspect that no, it's not it's not a great it's not an easy ending. It's a very difficult ending, um, not just to watch visually, but also just to soak in thematically. Um, but speaking of like visually hard scenes, there are a bunch in this movie, probably most notable oh, like, like sorry go on well I, I was about to say this is probably one of the m- biggest films that has all of those types of uh, scenes i was wondering for you guys what what was on top so we've got for curb first, stop so we've got the curb stop yeah, so that I was, was say, yeah. the murders like, i i legit pretty, i had to i bar. muted the movie at that point and like was kind of glancing away it's like i don't want to see this it i'm still traumatized from the first time i saw it like ugh. 
I think I think it was hyped up in my mind because there were so many people who were like, "Oh Jesus Christ, it's so it's so so gross, so hard to watch." It's just it's a nails and on the chalkboard thing to me. But yeah, the, it like, doesn't. It's, it's, wait, hold on. It, it doesn't it, show it, and it doesn't play the. Oh, I know, but like right? you, but you Sh- understand, like yeah. Okay, gotcha. In my I mind, I'm like, imagine no, yeah. teeth oh, no, on you, concrete. You hear? You hear? Like, how does you that hear feel in your mind? You you hear the thump of his foot and that guy's face going against that curve. Do like, you? you I don't that. remember hearing that. But like, yeah, just just imagine your teeth <laughs> being like grinded on by concrete. That's what I think about whenever I think about that scene. Um, it's, it's not pleasant. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think it's also one of Edward Furlong's greatest or best moments is the. The feel like, like slow mo to run. That's another like, thing, though. Like brother. he looked so horrified in that scene that it almost—you would have thought that maybe that would push him in the opposite direction than his brother. Yeah, I think at at first maybe because I, it seems like he was very kind of new to everything. I think, um, I think he was just seeing it from the point of view of. No, I don't want my brother to do something that could get him in trouble. And so when he sh- and then yeah, and then he spent all that time with you know the white supremacists who were like, well, you know, it wasn't your brother's fault. These these people invaded his home. Okay, you know? yeah, you guys, he was you guys just you. definitely read this differently than I do because it's like he's looking at his brother who looks like I'm gonna say deranged. Oh again. no, he's he yeah. looks he's, like he's a monster in that then, scene. And then you look over, and he, his brother's just looking at him. And it's like, yeah, I understand. Like that's probably how it's supposed to play out. Like he's upset that his brother's gonna be gone. But it's like in my mind, it's like it looks more like he's upset that, like, just upset by seeing people get murdered in front of him. I mean, I think I think it's probably a little no, bit of I both, actually. Yeah, you're you're right. It's a then, loss then, of no, innocence moment. Yeah, but then. But then, so it's like he he doesn't quit cold turkey, but he he's probably questioning it. Yeah, but then again, no one there's no one else in his life who he can talk to. So the only people who are going to get him through this are which is you know, which plays into my argument all, that his brother's friends should have been way more influential in his life at the end of the movie than his brother. It's, okay, I guess maybe yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, it helps that like all of his friends were idiots um uh shout out yeah, to ethan so suple who uh who oh my god like we're used to ethan the, guy who the jelly beans being that lovable kind of henchman from boy meets world who's got a soft spot though at the same time he writes poet does that did, did he write poetry am i right was there like a cyrano no de bergerac idea. side plot uh during boy meets world uh, it's been way too I long. I don't I, remember. Yeah. I think so. Um, I haven't seen it, so. But he goes from that to being just this ridiculously ignorant, loudmouth, obnoxious. My gosh. <laughs> like, Nazis are the worst. They waste jelly beans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's Yeah. So he's just so hard to deal with. But again, probably in the frenzy, uh, like that's the target of Cam. Like these kids who just need something to latch onto to give them sense of purpose and community or whatever. Um, and it, it's definitely kind of stereotypical. It definitely feels kind of like a caricature, but it at the same time feels very realistic i don't know and remember he said also like someone compared him to the kkk and like 
Oh no, that was when Davina compared him to the KKK. Oh my god, I was reading random random fact, but I was <laughs> I was reading the trivia for this movie, and I didn't know that eighty eight is like a reference to like Nazism and stuff, because like H is the eighth letter in the alphabet, so it's like Hail Hitler. Yeah. Or Heil Hitler, however you want to say it. And so it's like, I was oh. born in the 80, like 1988, so all my screen names growing up were like, whatever, 88. It's like, everyone probably thought I was like this little girl Nazi. Oh, yeah, because I'm sure we <laughs> knew that fact, too. Yeah, like, no, no I, I think Kyle actually told me that years ago, and I was like, oh, no. Real quick, I think we're coming to the end, but real quick, I do want to mention William Russ. Uh, William Russ has ruined him for me. Um, he went from being Corey... Eric and I forget oh, Morgan's lovable dad on Boy Meets World, and then it turns out he was a closet racist this entire time, <laughs> uh, and that was probably the most, if anything, if we're talking about hard scenes, that was probably the most traumatizing to watch one of my TV dads <laughs> reveal himself as a bigot. Ugh, that was the hardest scene to watch. Never meet your heroes or watch them in different <laughs> movies. But no, it, like in real talk, like shout out to him for playing such a character that has such sinisterness, even though he's just an everyday, like normal, like suburban firefighter. Um, and I think, yeah, I think the movie was did a great job, excuse me, of showing how, again, it doesn't have to be necessarily this kind of Nazi ideology, whether it is nationalism or Nazism or white supremacy or whatever the Ku Klux Klan or it is or even that it has to be tied to an identity or a community but just this idea of ignorance or intolerance or just a lack of compassion for understanding someone else's experience or a communal experience hearing him talk about uh, affirmative action and his his distaste for it and his disgust and his frustration with it it like frankly it was all it was almost convincing oh i've definitely i've heard conversations that go exactly like that like people in my like people in my family even i've heard them say that so it's things like that in this movie that i appreciate it's very honest in those ways and truthful and that makes it even more upsetting (laughs) no for sure and i and i hate the part where at at the end of that conversation he's like aces class do on this test but always like question it mm-hmm. and it's like don't actually accept what he's saying don't listen to it really and it's it's i guess the frustration is also this idea that and again we can we can debate sort of like the merits of affirmative action we can we can debate the logistics or merits of something but it's the idea that almost like you're questioning the intentions like this like at the very least, the thing was put in place not to disenfranchise one group, but to enable one well, yeah, group, right? It's not, it's not that another group is getting an opportunity. It's that the opportunity is being taken from us is how yeah. it kind of plays. And it's, it's, frustra- it's frustrating because it's this skepticism towards something that has good intentions mm-hmm. that, I don't know. Yeah, so it's, it's real frustrating. But it's, again, that's, like you said, Lauren, where the movie maybe becomes so powerful because it's so relatable. 
Yeah, 20 years later. <laughs> oh gosh. I like I didn't I didn't go into this rewatch thinking that this movie was going to be so relatable and then Oh no, me neither. Like, <laughs> under the surface I was like fuck the entire time. Um, Get out of my movie Twitter. Like well, there was another thing I wanted to talk about. I forget. Um, was it that you were super upset that he ends the movie with a quote and then doesn't say who said the quote originally? Because that bothered me. <laughs> uh, it was Abraham Lincoln, to, just in case Shout out to know. our 16th president, Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> being a wise-ass motherfucker. Does anyone have anything else to say? No. That was my best Zach impression. Uh... So, no. So where, where are we on this film, then? I'm still going to give it a, a strong endorsement go into it knowing that maybe especially a lot of the scenes at the beginning probably are going to come off very weird and melodramatic but it's probably done with intention i will say like i said about five minutes ago there's a lot of it that's very truthful and i appreciate that about the movie but overall it's not an easy watch like you're not like "Mm, i feel like watching a movie tonight american history x it's like it's not entertaining. <laughs> yeah, you, have to, you have to plan. You have to plan. Yeah, to be, like, you have to like right build. You have to build it. yourself up to watch this movie. So, and it's I, like I just, and I didn't think it was a well-made movie in like all the things I complained about earlier that just didn't work for me. Which it might just be problems I have and no one else notices or has, but just for me, I like I'm fine with never watching this again. Well, here's what I will say. It's unclear whether or not some of those issues that you brought up, it's unclear whether or not those things were done intentionally or not intentionally. And that, I will say, is a fault of the movie. If if a movie can't convince you about like why it's done something, then it's got work to do. Yeah. Um, ben, as our I'm, virgin yeah. going into this movie, what is your, what is your <laughs> diagnosis? What is your prognosis? I'd give it a four out of five. I thought it was great. Um, I don't think it was so, as so, amazing Z- as. So Zach, I I forget what would Zach say about that rating? That's bullshit. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, I think no, last he would. Yeah, he would have been like. Score was also four. Yeah. For this movie, <laughs> I would probably give it a two out of five. It was not for Lauren. Okay, well, I guess that's gonna do it. Two out of I will still give it like I'll give it like a four point five out of five. So average those out do the math it's too late i don't want to do that um <laughs> also uh our next episode oh yeah what's our next uh, episode good call uh is uh forgetting sarah marshall oh man what a is turn that, I believe, <laughs> is that i believe that's also one that's of also picks. one of my recommendations yeah i didn't plan the schedule <laughs> what what okay time out john just picked two movies where we get to see naked boys <laughs> You love your I do want to say um one of the guys, one of the neo Nazis in the in the jail was given like a full name, like Mitch whatever. It was the drug dealer one. But the other one who had prominent lines was simply titled Huge Aryan. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I remember like the first time I that saw him. That he was. Like, that he was within uh, the context of the group. I was like I was like, oh, that was one huge Aryan. <laughs> and then I read, like, oh, that's his actual name. That sucks. Um <laughs> this has it tattooed on his penis. <laughs> <laughs> Also, I I think the first time I saw this movie, actually, I'm not sure whether or not I actually saw the the rape scene in the shower. So I don't know how I just kind of jumped over that, but 
or maybe my mind couldn't yeah. comprehend what was going on, but I yeah, do so remember this is not, it. This is not a family movie. Don't, yeah. uh, <laughs> don't watch it with uh, your, your loved ones. Watch it by yourself. That sounds even creepier somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren, you were saying something about movies again. Oh, I or don't schedule remember. or something. Oh, I was just making fun of you. How two movies of yours in a row you get to see naked oh, boy naked parts. Boys. That's right. <laughs> um, what can I say? Um, Hugh Jarians and Jason Siegel. Like, I mean, not too far <laughs> now off. Just, now, just imagine all the all the Nazis doing that motion. <laughs> oh God! All right, we are not Zach Oldenburg. We are not Zach. Zach Oldenburg is our fearless leader. You can follow him anywhere online at Zach Oldenburg, and he would also recommend that you f- follow us on our webpage at middleofrow.com. Also, be sure to like and subscribe or rate uh, our podcast. We supposedly, something happens to an algorithm somewhere in Silicon Valley that makes us more accessible to more people. So yeah, make sure you like, subscribe, rate, leave us a review, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, everywhere. I'm Ben Grigsby. You can find me on uh, Letterboxd and Twitter at the Grigsby Bear. And you can follow all of us on Facebook at Middle of the Row. I'm Jonathan Rahul. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Another Rahul J. You can also f- uh, follow our website on Twitter as well, where you'll get updates when we post written content, such as me and Lauren's concert review of The Boy Genius Show with Julian Baker, uh, Phoebe Bridgers, and Lucy Dacus. We did a co-review. It was awesome. It was an awesome show. Lauren, you want to talk about it briefly? No. Cool. Um, <laughs> so you'll get updates on when we go post. read it. We need the post clicks. <laughs> we do, we do. I, I I think it's doing pretty well actually. When we post written content, and also if you follow our Twitter, you'll get updates when we post podcast episodes. And that's at middle of row hashtag Nota. And I'm Lauren Heimbaugh. You can find me on Twitter at Beware of Trees. But at least this one isn't Beware of Trees eighty eight. Um, <laughs> and you can find us on Tumblr at middlerow.tumblr.com. All right, go see Forgetting Sarah Marshall if you're a Philistine who hasn't seen it yet. And remember, the best seats are in the middle of the row.